Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. Attention Bajoran workers! Uh, very smart? And I am Gull Collinson today, and I will <laughs> steal your chips on the beach, I guess. <laughs> Seagull to cut. <laughs> There's a job for Suzanne. <laughs> oh. To get it on track. <laughs> Not even to the podcast oh, yet. My fault. I take full responsibility. <clears throat> oh, wow. <laughs> I guess we know what we're talking about today. Yeah. Beach vermin. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> oh my god, I needed that. Thank you. Good. <laughs> that I could provide a good laugh. So all right, yeah, today uh, we decided we wanted to um, uh, take a swing into villain territory and um, talk about uh, Lizard Space Hitler, <laughs> Gull de Cat. <laughs> Lizard, Lizard Space Hitler. Do you know, oh, I, I, I probably can see the parallels, really. I mean, having totally known Hitler and both Gold Dukat as personally as I do, <laughs> I know I can see the parallels. Yeah, but at the same time, um, Dukat was never really good at being in charge of everything. That's fair, yeah. He, he, just, uh, he wasn't ever very good. No, you're right, he wasn't. He was almost like in control but overwhelmed, like secretly overwhelmed, I think. Yeah. yeah. He there was um like an image blog on I think it was Tumblr a while ago called The Gull's Itch and it was basically taking images of Goldacut and Damar and writing text underneath it um which is lines by uh Zap Brannigan uh and his assistant Kiff <laughs> in Futurama. <laughs> <laughs> Which was very funny, and it fit the pair of them so well. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. I just feel like Ducat wanted the title more than he wanted the actual job that went with oh, it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but he didn't. He also didn't want the title of Legate, though. Like, he got Legate, was demoted, was promoted again, but not actually said specifically in Deep Space Nine, then demoted no, again to Gull, and then... When he became leader of the Cardassians after doing the whole relationship with the Dominion, he didn't want the title Legate again. He said that, no, nah, I'm going to remain a goal because it keeps my hands dirty. So I'm not sure whether he wanted the title. I just think he liked power. 
he liked power, but at the same time, he didn't. Because whenever he had, like, was wielding supreme executive power or whatever, um, he got, it seemed like he got bored easily. And started doing things that were going to get him demoted. <laughs> <It> just <laughs> He has a pattern, I feel like. Is it just me? Am I the only one who thinks that there's this pattern? Uh, well, I mean, I suppose not. Because he boned, obviously, Kira's mum. He had a daughter with uh, Torah Neprem. had a daughter with... Someone else, I can't remember the name, when he was, like, going crazy before he mm. turned into Anjol Tenon. Yeah, he um, he so, couldn't keep it in his pants, mm, could he? Just no, could not no. keep it but in his pants. But then again, it goes back to what we were saying before, when Nick was saying they basically have ribbed dicks, so. <laughs> yes, but that's for a female's pleasure. Yeah, but aren't... Um, oh. <laughs> it's only the Bajorans who are mentioned in... Um... The Star Trek Titan book. Mm. Oh, it wasn't Cardassians. Mm. Oh, that's a very good point. Yes. No, I forgot about that. <laughs> I feel bad now I mistook my penises. Shame on you. I would think you, of all people, <laughs> would know your penises better. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, dear. I'm so disappointed in you, Liam. I I know. Me too. Me too. (laughs) Well, we're off and running, aren't we? Off to a roaring start. Um, (laughs) Should we look at do cut through chronologically? That works. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, it's interesting, actually, how, how he sort of changes in terms of, like, the perceived villainousness throughout the show. Because, like, when we first meet him in the first episode, like, we know he was the prefect of Bajor and he was in charge of the station and he was the one essentially in charge of the oppression of the Bajoran people. But I guess because, at least from that start, Federation and the Cardassians aren't necessarily enemies, he's kind of not quite the villain of the piece yet and they even have episodes where they have to work together with him and all that sort of stuff Mm. and then it's you know just later on that the rest of it starts really coming to the surface i don't know i watched um steve shive's video about ducat uh this morning for a little bit of background um and he has a quite an interesting take on it because apparently a lot of people see the later characterization of ducat you know in in late season six and season seven where he seems to become very sort of one-dimensional supervillain and a lot of people apparently see that as a bit of a character assassination but if you really look at it the seeds of that level of you know of evil are there from the start he's just much better at hiding it earlier on agree because Ducat no matter what he presents as far as outward appearance, words, actions, etc. Everything that he does is to serve himself somehow. Yeah. There is never a time where he is going to go above and beyond for someone else just for the sake of doing the right thing. If his goals happen to align with something like that, yeah. But he's somehow getting something mm. out of it. He's 
furthering something for himself in everything that he does. And that is apparent from the very first episode. And that is a thread that follows him throughout. You know, they do make him more than just a one-dimensional foil. They do give him aspects of, oh, well, I could see, you know, he's almost a halfway decent person. And in his mind, he's a good man. We have to remember that the villain never knows that they're the villain. Mm -hmm. They always think that they're the hero. I mean, after all, he cut the output of what Bajoran miners had to work for. Yeah. And he he gave them... He stopped child labor and, you know, made sure they had medical care and rations. And how do they repay him, you know, by trying to assassinate him? (laughs) Just like, because they're still oppressed, you fucking moron. Well, that's that's the thing. He just can't fathom. He can't fathom a world where he's the villain. One man's villain is another man's hero. And he says that to Cisco. Yeah. So, I mean... When going back to the point about like how he changes, he starts off as we know the oppression or the oppressor of Beige or being the prefect. Following through, he's captured by the Marquis, makes him more personable, etc. Because Cisco has to save him. You go through to the fact that he loses, or he finds the fact that Tora Zial still exists, is protecting her in a way, even though we wanted to kill her beforehand we'll probably get onto that mm. later so we're seeing him as a good guy with in a way through seasons two and seasons three not necessarily a full good guy but we know that he's not like the evil person that we see him to be at the beginning of season one he then almost start rooting for him in a way like i know i was when he was demoted to the freighter with damar and then ended up getting the Klingon ship in that Return to Grace episode. It's like, oh, he's starting to build himself back up again. Like, I was almost rooting for him. And then at the end of season five's two-parter, where he, like, double backs and is like, nope, I'm going to help the Dominion. That's where we really start seeing it, that he's a menacing, evil person right the way through to the end, where he becomes the emissary to the Parre. Well, he is always going to fight on whatever the winning side is. Exactly. And he you saw... know that because he joined the Dep- the Datapa Council because he saw them winning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So he allies himself with whoever is the strongest, whoever is, looks like they're going to win. Mm-hmm. That's what he does. Because if the Federation or Starfleet had, you know, really started a concentrated effort and was starting to really win over the Dominion, he would ally himself with the Federation. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter who it is. It's whoever he thinks is going yeah. to win. So he wants, again, it's all about him and what he wants and what he perceives as power. Yeah. So. Well, that's exactly what you were saying about, um, back to your point as well, saying that he only does things for himself, but he always makes it out to be for someone else. Like, you know, the Datapa Council, well, I'm winning, they're win- so they're winning, I'm going to join them. Then the Cardassians joining the Dominion because they're winning, but that's all because it's going to make Cardassia great again. I mean, let's face it, he is Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, was was going to bring up He's the smarter point. than Trump, though. He is, he is very Trump. much the, um, if he were existing in kind of, our modern day context, he would be, you know, a, a right wing populist in terms of of oh, definitely, you know, yeah, 
political leanings and, and allying yourself to whichever side you think will give you the most power. Actually, I, I think he's more of a Mike Pence. Oh, that's a good point. But isn't he right-wing and populist as well? Yeah. Yeah, but like uh, more, Mike more Pence subtle. Is, Mike, Mike Pence is more intelligent, and he is also an evil person because of many things, not the least of which is he believes in gay conversion therapy. Mm-hmm. So he believes in torture, and uh, he creeps me out big time kind of like gold yeah <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say gold is a bit of a mix between hitler and trump but i would probably say yeah mike pence is probably the real life analogy for him that's quite a good point mm. yeah because he's he's not dumb enough to be trump mm. no and he's not as maybe together mm. as hitler but then was Hitler actually together? Probably not. Let's oh, no. not make that. He was argument. a nutcase. Mm-hmm. He was a nutcase. No, he was. He was an absolute nutcase. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's it, this actually another Eddie Izzard bit. <laughs> it's relevant. Oh, yeah. He was he was talking about how you know what what was the turn for Hitler? What made him crazy? Because he he used to be a veggie and a painter, and he's like, so what happened? He was just one day going can't get the fucking trees right oh fuck i'm gonna kill everything (laughs) (laughs) oh shit so yeah so there's always an eddie azard reference there is i do like the ones because i've never ever seen any of it so (laughs) oh it's so great he's so great i love him this has nothing to do with anything but it's just that kind of talk has reminded me of it um and it kind of does go into the idea of a this sort of absolutely uh, insane fascist leader just, like, working at any kind of, uh, like, big project to make themselves look big. So, like, I build a lot of model kits and stuff, and within the model kit building community, there's a lot of people who are really into, like, all of the weird... Wunderwaffe, I think, is how they were pronounced. Like, all of the, like, bizarre wonder weapons that the Nazis tried to build, none of which worked. They were all complete propaganda tools they had zero function whatsoever but so many people are all about oh yeah the giant ratter class tank that if it, they built it they could have won the war. It's like no they couldn't it was a complete boondoggle they would have made one it would have been it would have gone about three kilometers an hour and been bombed yeah, it's yep. i can't relate i'm sorry no it's just it just that just <laughs> popped into my mind and it's just like that's <laughs> It's this very weird, bizarre thing that some that some people in those positions try to do. Which, I mean, bringing it back to the topic, I wouldn't put past someone like Goldacut as well to try and bring about some kind of ridiculous hair rain scheme to try and make Cardassia and the Dominion look ridiculously strong while actually mm. just costing, you know, stupid amounts of resources and actually achieving nothing. Yeah, that's kind of his. Uh, that's kind of his bag. A couple of things that I just want to note before we go. Do you know Mark Alimo was not the first choice to play Dukat? Oh. I only found that out recently. I didn't know that. I did not. Yeah, so they, they hired some rando to play Dukat. And in the first very first scenes of shooting Emissary, they were like, nah, we've totally miscast them. Hmm. And they went back to Mark Alimo, knowing that he did already played a Cardassian in TNG. Right. And wow. they once they started filming Emissary, they were like, nah, this is our golden cut. This is perfect. 
And of course, Marco Limo done an amazing job of Descartes. And I also think a lot of the nuances that Descartes has is purely down to Marco Limo. Oh, yeah. Agree. Because he said that he never wanted to play the character as downright evil. Yeah. He never wanted mm-hmm. to play the character as good. There's always a bit of cheek, a bit of smirk, a bit of charm, mm. a bit of a bit of everything in the character to sort of keep you guessing and not understanding. And that eventually plays out to Descartes becoming insane. Yeah. Because he doesn't know who he is. And he has definitely yeah. got that um, that unsettling, charming demeanour uh, that that works so well with that character. It's a turn on. <laughs> If you say so, <laughs> I don't. I know. I, I do. I have. I have a. It's. I don't know. It's. What is. What is that term where somebody finds a voice or the sound of a voice like attractive? Mm, I don't know, but I have that. Is it like? Oh, is it? Is it ASMR or something? Is it's what? not technically ASMR. No. No, I don't know. Whatever it is, it's like I don't know. There's something about Mark Lomo's voice is to cut. Like when he says "major" and <laughs> "attention, Bajoran workers." I don't know. There's just something about it that's like, ooh, <laughs> impress me. <laughs> okay, that's oh, fair. God. That's fair. <laughs> I'm sorry. Listeners know that I am the I'm the weak link when it comes to <laughs> Nah, you do you Liam. This kind of conversation. I'm, I'm not here to yuck anyone's yum. No. <laughs> yuck anyone's yum. Never. Never. I I've had similar things about people where people are just like, Really? Hmm. Okay. I'm like, hey, just don't judge. We all have our things. Um Seeing as well, just a couple of other things that Mark Loma had to start at 2 a.m. for his makeup. Holy crap. 2 a.m. Just because of the amount of makeup that he had to put on. Mm. And he only appeared in 35 episodes of the 160, 170 odd. Really? I didn't realize that. It's almost like Descartes only in like, um, sorry, not Descartes, Garrick is only in like 23, yeah. I think, episodes. It's just like they make such an impression on. Only being in like fifteen percent of the episodes. Oh, my yeah. maths is terrible for this time of morning, but in such a small amount of episodes, he's made such a big impact. Mm, huge. Well, he is definitely key to the conclusion of the series as well. Yeah. Mm. Well, he's, he's, they wanted to. They they were worried apparently from what I was reading that they were making Ducat sidelined after season six and they were needing to find a way like after Torazial was killed mm. by Damar. Trying to find a way Excuse to... me, who? What did I say? Oh Tora. I I thought you said something else. Oh did you think I said Torres I because of the way you said it and the way you dropped off, it sounded like you said Torres. And oh. I was like, no, we're not talking about Voyager here. Blana <laughs> <laughs> suddenly makes her way into Deep Space Nine. It's like, whoa, what's going on here? Kind of like the non-sequitur episode of Voyager, I guess. Um, yep. But what was I saying? Yeah, so after ZR was killed, sort of they lost what they were doing with him, but they knew they wanted to make him the focal point of the end of the series mm. as well, like in terms of the main villain, because that's what it started off as in Emissary. So that's how they came about with the whole insanity arc and him becoming part of the Parraiths. It, it fits, yeah. though. It's it does like, fit. for him, the ultimate power. Mm. 
Because he basically has the same powers as the prophets, and now he can destroy the prophets, or so he mm. believes, and become the ultimate ruler. Well, because in is it Waltz? It might be Waltz. Is that the episode where Cisco and where they're uh, trapped on the planet? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's where he basically admits that he absolutely hates the Bajorans and wants to destroy them all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because they, he sees that Bajorans just aren't gratified yeah or a grateful is probably the best word for grateful yeah him doing what he did when he was prefect of major yeah he acts like goes back to him being mad yeah it well that's the thing he's he did all of these nice things for them yeah except give them their freedom Mm. (laughs) you were planning on colonizing their planet with cardassians of course they hate you Mm -hmm. Mm. but he never gets that the whole point of him doing that anyway was just so it could make the resistance calmer, I guess. Yeah, that was never going to happen. More, yeah, well, no, it's not. It's like, get the fuck off my planet, mate. Yeah, exactly. That's mm-hmm. the entire point of any any situation like that when, when an oppressive regime or even sort of oppressive or abusive people in a kind of singular situation, you know, they offer little bits of kindness here and there to try and mollify resistance. I remember a few years ago, I was in um, New Orleans and we were doing a, a tour. It was a mostly a, a ghost tour, looking at haunted houses and stuff. But there was a little bit of history um, that we were getting about the place as well. And someone mentioned, or oh, the guide mentioned that it was against the law at the time for the slave owners to, to whip and beat their slaves and he's like now this doesn't mean they were being especially kind or anything like that you know these were slave owners they were horrible people and they knew that if they treated the slaves like too horribly and were too violent towards them there would be violent rebellion against them you know they were Mm. just not horrible enough to stop full-on rebellion and that's that's the golden card's like master manipulation. MO. Yeah, it's manipulative. Oh god, our country is so fucked up, you guys. <laughs> Don't worry, same here. Yeah, honestly, if you look into the uh the history of the treatment of indigenous people here, it's uh Brand, did you know much about the stolen generation? I don't know a lot, but I know of it. And it's it's fucking terrible. Yeah. yeah. I just don't understand why people are still this way why that hasn't disappeared from society on this planet Mm. i mean honestly in this day and age we have the technology where nobody should have to be homeless nobody should have to be hungry Mm -hmm. and nobody should have to be discriminated against simply because of the color of their skin Mm -hmm. or their sexual or gender identity or anything we have the power for to do that, and we don't. Yeah. And that we have yeah. the power to not destroy the planet that we live on. But you think we're trying mm-hmm. to do that? Yeah. No, we're just going to yeah. carry on going. No, because no, it's too inconvenient, mm. and that's why we still mm-hmm. have record cases, number of cases per day here in Utah. We're having a spike higher than any that we've had yet. Oh my god of new COVID-19 cases because people can't be buggered to just put a piece of cloth over their mouth and nose. Mm-hmm. It's just, people just don't do anything that's not convenient for them. They don't do anything that's 
not for greed. They don't do anything that's not for money. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. Power and money. Yeah. And there's no common goal. Jordan and I watched the... I mean, this is a massive tangent, isn't it? But Jordan and I watched the um, Netflix show that David Attenborough just put out, the witness uh-huh. statement one. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, fuck. And I think even Jordan actually started reconsidering, maybe, I think, a little bit about what's happening. But at the end of the day, he stands there and says, we've got the ability to do it. But he stopped mm. short of saying that people just don't have the will. Mm. Yeah, that's the thing. Nobody wants to be inconvenienced. Nobody wants to spend any extra money. Everybody mm. wants to get their piece of the pie. It's like the, it's a competition. Humanity is not a compu- competition. Right? It's not. We are a collaborative species. We... Yeah. That's like whenever I hear people talk about, you know, uh, this idea that if society collapses, you know, ev- everything just becomes mad max overnight and it's and it's the strong prey upon the weak and everyone it's like no like we invented society it it didn't spring out of nowhere that's just what our species does mm-hmm. why why are we allowing well, ourselves to be pushed away from this as i remember said our strongest ability is our ability to create an idea yeah yeah and people have just become so conditioned to whatever circumstances that Mm. they're in that that's the reason why we still have fossil fuel cars everywhere Mm. it's corporations especially because capitalism will kill this planet it will absolutely kill this planet Mm -hmm. and so companies who are causing a lot of these problems it's too expensive and inconvenient to do things a better Mm. way so they just don't yeah and because there's no laws there are no laws being made saying, no, you can't do this anymore because the people in charge are in league with those companies because it's a parasitic yep. relationship where somebody's making money. Yeah, the biggest, and it's, biggest donors it's, to every political party. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, this is a depressing yeah. tangent we've moved on to. Mm. <sighs> it's the state of the world today. Uh, let's talk about something uplifting. Sense. Let's talk about Gold to we're talking about... I was going to say, but we're talking about Descartes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. I was going to say, let's talk about something uplifting like Goldacut and wanting to kill his daughter. Oh, yeah, God. (laughs) Okay, now I have a theory about this. Mm -hmm. This episode is called Investigations. Yes. Yes, just just bear with me. Indiscretions. Uh, Sorry, that was... Indiscretions, yes. Here's why... I think he didn't kill Zial. It had nothing to do with him actually loving her. I don't think he is capable mm. of love. It has everything to do with him wanting to get in Kira's pants. Kira <sighs> asked him not to kill her. Yeah. You reckon? Uh-huh. Everything that he does is something to benefit himself. There was no benefit to him for keeping Zial alive. What happens when he takes her back? He loses everything. His family disowns him. His wife and kids gone. You yeah. know, they don't want anything to do with him. He demoted gets demoted. He's ostracized, etc. So he, that was not a benefit to him. It was all to look good for mm. Kira. I've never looked at it like that. Yeah. That's a. Uh... 
I think that's... That's a very interesting take on it. Yeah, I think I agree. And definitely the idea that he's not capable of love. He, I think he thinks he is. Oh, he absolutely that's, thinks that's he it. is. I don't think he is, but he thinks so. Yeah, he yeah. eventually mm-hmm. becomes possessive of Zial. And like we see how sort of adamantly, you know, angrily against the idea of her having anything to do with Garrick he is. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just more because he hates Garrick. But then he leaves her on the station as well mm. at the end of mm-hmm. uh, da, 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 In Purgatory's Shadow, that arc. That, like, yeah. yeah. You're right. I, 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 I think the more that I think about it or that we say and stuff, I probably do agree with you, Brandy, yeah. and you, Nick, that he is incapable of yeah. that. He wants to possess people. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ownership. Control. Yeah. And it's super creepy. Mm-hmm. That he wants to get into Kira's pants because yeah. her mom is just mm-hmm. ew. Yep. It's like ew. Oh, you're just like your mother. Ew. Oh no. Ew. Just I terrible. watched um, Wrongs Darker Than Death or Night recently. Mm. I'm not up to Wrongs Darker Than Death or Night in um, my rewatch yet. I've just watched uh, Doctor Bashir. I presume. I love that one. Mm. Um, but. Yeah, we're playing, um, again, bad side note, tangent, uh, Flux. Has either of you played the game Flux? Oh, yes. A little bit. Mm -mm. There's a Deep Space Nine Flux, and I've got the Deep Space Nine Flux. My friend got it for me for my birthday, and Jordan and I were playing it last night, and all the um, goal cards are like episode names, etc. So good. So good. (laughs) And Jordan's like, why is Jadzia Dax and Golda Cut on this card? And I'm like, no comment. I haven't got up to that yet. You haven't gotten to that episode yet, huh? Nope. <laughs> mm. So you should you should get Deep Space Nine Flux. It is it is it is really good. God. Okay. Good I think to I played... it's a good card game to play, Randy. Yeah. I, I have played Monty Python Flux. <laughs> I've played Math, Chemistry, Space, and Deep Space Nine Flux. As the, as the name of the game suggests, the rules on how you play the game and the way you win the game is constantly in flux. <laughs> funnily, funnily enough. <laughs> but yeah, with, with Torazial, there's such a... There's such a... It's a weird relationship that Descartes has, especially as... Mm-hmm. I mean, I always thought that the episode... Um, in I keep saying investigations. I've got Voyager brain on. Um, indiscretions is indiscretions a, is an episode whereby we actually see the softer side of Descartes. But now I'm like, oh, did we see a softer side of him, or did we see a manipulative softer side mm. of him that we don't know about? That's that's the thing. No matter for me, no matter what he was doing, no matter how he was presenting himself. I always felt like, what's in it for him? There's something in this for him. So Mm. that was just always my feeling, which is not to say that I didn't. Well, it's hard to say I like the character. I mean, I do like the character and hate him at the same. Oh, Oh, Ducat. It's funny to like. I love to hate him. Exactly. Let's put it that way. It's the same with he does. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I love to hate her. I love to hate her. So, and yeah, when that relationship happens, that was really just like, oh, <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> I I need to be drunk to get through this. <laughs> I can't wait to watch <laughs> I was like, yeah. I can't do this sober. I can't. Oh, I can't wait to watch that episode Same. with Jordan. It's going to yeah. be so, so funny. My... He's going to vomit. <laughs> I'm so sorry in advance. Um, yeah, that's my weird theory, and I'm sticking by it. No, I'll take it. What did you think of... Um, this was the first time that I guess we found out that Ducat had bed a Bajoran, I think, with Tor and mm. Prem. Mm-hmm. What did you think of him having a half Bajoran kid? Uh, I think that... I was a bit grossed out, to be honest. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is I think it's just another example of his desire to dominate Bajorans. Mm. So, because there's been more than one Bajoran that he's got it on yeah. with. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if he... I don't even think that he... Did I, I guess he did know that she that he'd ha- that she'd had a child. Is, is am I remembering that right? Yeah, because you sent he sent her away. Yeah. Yeah. So I I feel like because he I feel when, like that it was just another manipulation. Because when um they get to the the crashed shuttle and they see that or he like like they dig up the bones etc and he sees Tor and the Prem's like jangly ear thing. Her earring? Yeah. <laughs> That's the word. When he sees her earring, he seems to actually look quite devastated. Yeah, well, that's the thing. A bit of he, he, believes, he believes he's capable of love. Okay, yeah. And that goes back to that, yeah. Yeah, he believes that. And so he believes that he loved her. Mm. But that doesn't mean he actually did. Because mm. if he did... You know, honestly, if he had loved anybody that he slept with, honestly, they would all still either be with him or yeah. alive. So let's yeah. let's. <laughs> I mean, if we start to count how many people we know of that he has slept with, and how many of those people are still alive or with him, yeah. Oh, that would be exactly none. Yeah. And even if he, you know, also considering that. These, you know, the Bajoran women that he slept with were, you know, the the comfort women. Um, mm. So they were enslaved to the to the Cardassian master. So even if he did mm-hmm. profess to love her, that's still, you know, a a power dominance mm-hmm. situation of one person owning another. Yep. I can't remember the episode name, but. It's where Cisco, Odo, Garrick, and Dax had an accident, and they all were then put back in time somehow, but everyone saw them as Bajorans, whatever that episode was called. The fact that he then took Bajoran Dax into, you know, the office, and Descartes wanted someone to be comforted by, not for any reason other than the fact that he was lonely. Because he admitted to Dax, whether it was in that episode or later on, that he's a lonely, complex person and that he's alone because nobody understands me. Hmm. Isn't that what they all say? Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I'm getting at. Like, 
Yeah. They always feel like, I am such a good person. Why doesn't anybody love me? <laughs> like, I gave Probably. them baby care. <laughs> yeah. I, like, made them, I made them comfortable, and I fed them, and so why do you hate me? I gave them one extra loaf of bread a week. I know. <laughs> and a like, lemon. I'm the best slave owner there is. I'm just so good to them. <laughs> <laughs> why, me. Why won't they love me? I am their master. <laughs> <laughs> it must be the voices you're using. Because all I'm he- thinking now is all I'm seeing is um, everyone raise your hands if you've been personally victimized by Goldie Cat. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, a lot of hands are going to shoot up. Uh, I want to put my hands up. <laughs> Can we talk <sighs> about. Um, do we want to talk about him getting that Klingon ship or not really? I think it actually does sort of fit in with his character a little bit. Like, he basically commandeers this Klingon ship. Like, he takes it over. So it's a trophy to him. It's another thing that he has acquired and he owns. And he likes to show it off. He's like, yeah, this is my ship. I defeated these Klingons and I took their ship and now it's mine. Becomes like a pirate. Yeah. The real seagull Ducat. (laughs) (laughs) Salty Ducat. Very salty. No, 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 no. Forget I said that. No. That's saying it. No, no. That would stay in if I were editing it. No, it can stay in. That's fine. I honestly, anything that I say on here, you are welcome to keep. I care not. I said it, and I'll stick by it. So that Klingon ship was his, as the episode suggests, his return to grace. He's like, oh, look at me. I've got a Klingon ship. I defeated the Klingons. I've now got a bird of prey. Mm. And he's like doing all these things as a pirate, I guess, in that bird of prey, which I guess has allowed him to go and secretly liaise with the Dominion. Yeah. Because he has a little bit of power again. I just thought it was cool that he got his uh, Bajoran not Bajoran. I thought it was cool that he got his Klingon ship. I just liked that. Because as I said I'm just yeah. like, earlier, I'm like, oh, it's kind of like he's trying to build himself back up again. And mm. Yeah. He he does, I mean, the Klingons have gone a bit wackadoodle, let's be honest. Well, mm-hmm. well that's because of Changeling Martok. Yeah, I know. I know. Mm. But, but see, that's the thing. It's like, if your leader starts to act out of character and starts to order things where you're just like, that sounds kind of fishy. And you just fall in line anyway. Well, that's on you. <laughs> well, well Martok wasn't even the leader. It was Gowron who was the leader of the Empire. I know, but but still, Martok had a lot of power. Come mm. on. True, yeah. Yeah. God, so. JG hurts, though. See, when we're, with the double episode, Impactory's Shadow and... Oh, I forgot what the other one was called. Uh, by Inferno's Light? My, yeah, I think it is. Um... I'm just like, Jordan, this is where it all starts. This is where it all starts. You've got Bashir as a changeling. You've got Martok coming back. Yeah. You've got Garrick here. It's like, oh, my God. Jordan's like, oh, it's like, I finally understand why Deep Space Nine is great. This is where shit starts to go down. It's, yeah, exactly. That's exactly <clears throat> what I said. Shit's going down now. You wait till the end of season five. <laughs> um, 
let's talk about him and the Parathes. So many things happened with that. Yeah. Losing Zial, losing his mind, then becoming... Well, I, well, I wouldn't say becoming the emissary to the Parathes then, but finding a way to wreak havoc on the Bajorans yeah. by... Reading all the books, finding out that the wormhole indeed is the celestial temple, falling prey to the cult par wraith, becoming possessed by one to try to destroy the temple and killing Jadzia Dax in the meantime. Hopefully Jordan didn't hear that part of it. Fucking hate the fact that he killed her. Mm. So angry. So angry. Not that I minded Esri, but yeah, Jadzia. I, I liked her. Yeah. Um, well, and yeah, because I had trouble with Jadzia at first. Me too. And so by the time, well before the time we got to season six, but by the time we got there, I was just really invested in that character now. And then that happened and I'm like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Yeah. She's not really dead. She's not, she's not dead. She she can't really be dead. She's not dead, right? (laughs) She's not dead, right? With Jadzia, they made, they started off being like the whole, I've got seven lifetimes of experience. I'm going to be calm and collected etc but they're like you know what we really need her to be playful and energetic because that counteracts cisco's like seriousness in mm. a way sometimes so it's when... too stoic man yeah exactly so when they made her playful and exciting that's that's where i really feel like jadzia kicked off Definitely. well and i think that you can you can what's the word i'm looking for here you can headcanon that in that because jadzia is young and playful that Dax starts to meld with yeah. that and yes. becomes young and playful. Yeah. Because I mean, so. Emony, I think it's Emony who is the, would have been young and playful, but then you've also got all the different people inside Dax. Yeah. I think Curzon yeah. was also like very. Yeah. You get the, the impression that Curzon was. He was, he was a, a, bit of a troublemaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't wait to talk about yeah. the Dax about about Dax. <laughs> about all the Daxes. Mm. About all the Daxes. So he secretly turned himself into Anjol Tanan, someone that was due to be rounded up and killed in his one of his internment camps, like a farmer, yeah. to try and spread the word of the Par Wraiths, and then jetted himself off to Empoknor whereby he started off his little Parathe cult. Mm. That's just so weird. <laughs> well, he'd lost it by then, hadn't he? Let's well, face it. He did. Have, he did uh, it's just of all the things that I would have thought an insane Cardassian would do, turning themselves into a Bajoran and spreading the words of the Parathe was not at the top of my list. No, but he hated Bajorans that much that he I wanted real, to destroy the thing that. that holds dear to them, yeah. and that's the prophets. So much that he became one of them to further his goals. Mm Because everything he does is about him. Him. And even, like, seducing Kai Wynn to be part of it. And bringing Kai Wynn over with the Book of the Costumogen to (laughs) basically the Kai being and then um, wanting to be the emissaries to the Parathes. I feel like this is going to be a theme on this show. Anytime that we talk about... Kai Wynn and Gold of Kai is going to be like dry reaching. It's just, yep, gagging noises. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it just, it makes me feel nauseated. Mm. <laughs> it really honestly does, especially when that first started happening 
on screen and just I'm like, just no. like, what? No, 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 my eyes, my <laughs> eyes. <laughs> no. That is the porn that one does not want to see. Yeah, it was, it was basically, oh God, my eyes. Mm. I can never unsee this. See, this is, this is how far Descartes goes to how, like, he is. When he was found out that he is not Angel Tanan, and it was, in fact, he was, in fact, a cut, he killed the guy, and then he convinced mm-hmm. other people to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. Like, what the fuck? To cover it all up. Mm. He couldn't blow his cover. So, anybody that could possibly have known what this guy knew, had to go. So, with Goldacart and the whole parade thing, he let out some parades, etc. I think the ending whereby Cisco, or he's chosen to be the emissary to the parades, which then really pisses off Kai Wynn because she's clearly not liked by the prophets and they're clearly not liked by the parades. Mm. So she's she's pissed off. Mm. But the fact that Cisco and Descartes are fighting in the fire caves and manages to seal Descartes into the fire caves forever. I think that is such a fitting ending for the character that we first see in Emissary as like a villain of all sorts and goes through a massive arcs of like maybe goodness, but probably all fake goodness, as you were saying, to the ending whereby he's sealed because he's literally possessed by evil spirits i guess it's just it's just such a fitting ending for the character Mm. definitely it is because absolute power corrupts absolutely yeah it's exactly Mm. that it's it's his constant drive for more power eventually leads him to yeah a a power that he can't control Mm -hmm. and being destroyed by it well you know, he made his bed. Yep. And he gets to lie in it. <laughs> For all eternity. <laughs> Forever. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Now, the, the final thing I kind of want to bring up about Goldacut, if there's anything, is there anything else you guys want to bring up beforehand or not? Uh, no. Not really. I think we've covered most of it. Okay. So the final thing I want to bring up about Goldacut which I've written on my notes as four words, and I'd like to have both of your opinions on this. And those four words are, was he ever sane? Ooh. I'm going to go with no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. that's a good question. Elaborate. And I might, um, I might agree. Yeah. Mm. Why do you think so? Why yeah. do you think not, Brandy? Well, because okay, this this is going to bring in my theory about why he was so upset when Zial died. Because frankly, he pretty much knew Demar was going to kill her. I mean, mm. he could, he could have prevented it. Uh, he he didn't really try that hard, and then he's devastated by her death. I don't think he's devastated by her death so much as he. This is going to be out there for some people. He knows now that he absolutely has zero chance with Kira after this. Mm. Absolutely. 
that, that is, is over. out there. That door, <laughs> that door is closed because Kira was sort of like a stand-in mother for mm-hmm. Zial, and he thought he could get closer to Kira through Zial. Now Zial is gone, and that pathway is closed. Yeah. And, and you, now all she does is really just detest him. And you think that's the cause of his insanity? I don't insanity, think that... Or? No, no, no. I didn't say that was a cause of his okay. insanity. But that triggered a meltdown. Yep. Right, that okay. fully descended him into his insanity. So disintegrated I think he's always him, been... Yeah. He's always been mm, not entirely stable. Yep. So... Was... Because no one who does the things that he does could be considered in their full right mind yeah yeah i mean because it goes that's a very interesting thing actually i didn't i've mm, i'm not sure i can agree with you on that one brandy but it's a it's a, it's a i think it's he, a whereabouts idea <laughs> yeah like that event is definitely like the the tipping point you know that pushes him over the edge into just like outward complete insanity before then i think you know sane might be too broad a term um but i think he's he is definitely fits into what sort of we in the real world would consider you know a sociopath or psychopath or um uh antisocial personality disorder i believe is the correct clinical term or something along those lines he and is very good at masking it you know he you know brandy like you said like he he isn't capable of feeling love for other people he Mm. feels that sort of possessiveness and i i think he almost sees it more he's it's a challenge to him which is probably why he is so invested in in trying to get with kira because she hates him so much so that's that's the biggest challenge for him to sort of overcome and dominate her yeah, but they still have those moments. Like, there was, oh, what was it? They were kind of on a mission together, and they had dinner together, mm. and she was civil. You know, they had these moments where she wasn't completely repulsed yeah. by him. So, yeah. you know, it wasn't that she was, she was never going to sleep no. with him, of course. But he, you know, those little instances just fueled that obsession. Yeah. Yeah. Because she, she he actually thought, oh, this could actually be a mm. thing. She's actually warming up to me. She wasn't. But... Yeah, because I, th- I think Kira's a very practical mm. person and, and can see good aspects in people when they're there. You know, she's very much as someone who believes in like i guess credit where credit is due and looking down on someone when it's due depending on very much on the situation and the and the circumstance and the context yeah she may have been able to tolerate him at certain mm. points but she never trusted him oh yeah ever because he is i mean nobody yeah. did because she's a very very smart person and you know Descartes ultimately is obviously not deserving of any trust she's smart enough to see that and i I would definitely say um, not only is he a sociopath, but he is also a narcissist. Definitely. Very much so. And, definitely, yeah. And that often leads to people going off the rails. Yeah. Well, Kira says he loves the sound of his own voice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He does. 
and that's that's the whole thing that's why he is not capable of love that's why everything he does has something in it for him yeah and so you know if he had really wanted to keep zial alive he would have done a much better job of it i mean there are definitely many ways that he could have kept her from being killed and he didn't Mm -hmm. so though he was not the one that struck zial down it he had he bears responsibility yeah, he in her death. Set big time. all the events in motion that led to that event to that happening. Mm-hmm. Yep. I just don't know exactly how much he cared for Zial. As much as a narcissistic sociopath can, which is in his mind a lot, but in reality, loving someone means that you would sacrifice for them, and he would never sacrifice for anyone. Yeah. Yeah ever so what he felt for zial was guilt it wasn't love that's a really good point yeah that's that's a very good ending point brandy <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> i guess I was not expecting that it's just how i feel mm. yeah. that's a uh, i actually really enjoy talking about descartes today I know, right? I, I knew it was going to be an interesting discussion. Yeah. I know he's one of the more fascinating characters in Star Trek, and that's standard, typical thing with Deep Space Nine that they've created, like Iris Stephen Bear, Ronald D. Moore, Robert Wolfe, all the other writers, etc., have created fantastic characters that are so nuanced and so just well-designed. Mm. compared to other Star Trek shows. I mean, I look at some shows that a lot of people have a lot of love for, like TNG, and think there's a lot of bland characters in it. And not that I'm saying that it's a bad show, but, but there's not the much as much depth to them as the Deep Space Nine characters. The same as Voyager. I love Voyager, yeah. and it's probably my favourite, because of, I guess, nostalgic reasons, but it's not exactly well written in with some of the characters like you completely lose Tuvok for example at the end of it mm. but in the same with Enterprise they didn't do much with Travis and not as much or, with Hoshi I mean Ho- Hoshi had more development than Travis yeah. mm. and, and Hoshi they... barely had anything either yeah. yeah they really missed the boat on those characters mm. it's like oh let's have this ensemble let's be diverse oh we have no idea what to do with these yeah. guys and it even extends into discovery season one and early season two how we didn't know anything really about a Wushikun and uh detmer except for minor minor things bryce yeah. and reese yeah you got those bryce right and bryce and yeah <laughs> <laughs> Reese and Bryce, Bryce and Reese. Um, Here, here's, here's a funny aside. You can leave the center, cut this out if you want, but Ronnie Rowe Jr. is premiering in a Hallmark Christmas movie this very <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> Perfect. Nice. Is it on Netflix? No, it's not on Netflix. It's only on the Hallmark Channel. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I'll, I have to look. I have to watch that. You might have some more lines. So yeah, that's that's the thing with Deep Space Nine. They've created such rich characters, and they centered even episodes around their secondary characters, which you'd never really receive in other yeah. shows. So, um, mm-hmm. and I think Ducat's just an ex- another extension of a well-written villain. I agree. Yeah, they they just they did so well with writing. Every character. I mean, even aside from Ducat, I mean, Damar 
starts out mm. as as a glorified extra. He is just sort of Descartes' lackey, and he ends up becoming, you know, the hero who liberates the Cardassian Union from the Dominion. Like, mm-hmm. well, you got Rom, who starts off as Quark's idiot brother and ends up as the Grand Magus. Yeah, it's just like fantastic character growth and development through the entire series. Cassidy Yates starts off as just a random love interest and ends up basically going to be the stepmom to Jake. Yeah. It's like, uh, well, and there's more to her than being just the stepmom, mm. but you know what I mean. Um, like, there's yes. this growth in a lot of the minor characters, and you see that with the seven part season finale in season seven with, oh my God, like Jeff, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Combs. Yes. Playing both Brunt and Wayun in that. You've got Salome <laughs> Jens playing the female changeling. Like even the female changeling had a character to her. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I don't know. Love it and I love to cut. Did not that actress also appear as an alien in TNG? Salome Jens. Yes. I'll have a look. I feel like she was also in an episode of TNG. Probably. I think it was the one where it's the sort of scavenger hunt for... She is perhaps best known for portraying the female changeling. She did, you were right. It was... Okay, don't tell me. Um, look up the episode it was, but I feel like it was the episode where... Um, a bunch of races are given a piece of a scavenger hunt and they're trying to get to this one planet to figure out, is it her on that? She played yes! the humanoid progenitor. Yeah. Oh, yes. Of course. Yes. That episode I, is basically I, that, um, that 60s or 70s movie where they had to find all the money under the big W palm tree or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I really loved the, the Klingon's response. That's it? If she were not already dead, I would kill her where she stands. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like that was the same actor because just the, her the sound of her voice. The sound of her voice and, and the way she stands. And the way she stands and the, the makeup, the alien yeah. makeup was actually kind of similar between that and the Dominion. So, yeah. Woo, I was right. Nice. <laughs> I could have looked it up myself a million times, but I never thought about it until right the second, you, you know, to actually look it up. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for listening to this episode of the Vedic Assembly. Before we close, Nick and Liam record on the traditional lands of the Wiradjuri people of the Kulin Nation and the Garna people of the Adelaide Plains, respectively. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. You can keep up to date with our episode releases on Twitter at Vedic Assembly, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Vedic Assembly, and please also join us in our listeners community called The Nexus. Just search for The Nexus on Facebook and you should find it. Join the discussion about new episodes of Star Trek Discovery as well. You can find Liam on Twitter at LS74656 and on this network hosting The Janeway, our Star Trek Voyager podcast. You can find Nick on Twitter at Punk Zoologist and on Instagram at Punk Rock Zoologist because he likes to be different. And you can find Brandy on this network hosting Boldly Go, our Strange New Worlds podcast, and What the Future Holds, our Star Trek Discovery podcast, which is currently weekly, and on Twitter at Brandywine12. Brandy's with an I, and 12 is a number. Don't forget to make Cardassia great. 
Vedic Assembly is part of the Hall of Sweet Media Network. <laughs> All hail Golducott. <laughs> last week, last week I heard something about sexy Gara again. <laughs> yeah, you can find sexy Gara. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, Vedic. Yeah, you have to say Vedic oh, disassemble. Vedic yeah. uh, disassemble. Stuff to cut out or put in the bloopers. That's what this part is. <laughs> this show is brought to you by Hollow Sweet Media. Computer. List other available Hollow Sweet Media programs. Loading Hollow Sweet Preview Program for Open Channel, a Star Trek community podcast. But I just want, I wish that more straight cis white guys said things like that and realized things like that and i please continue to to try and show them the way <laughs> i try and of course i have responsibility too i am i am cisgender and i am white you know even though i'm i'm a homo so <laughs> uh i think that's great nick i think we should just wrap the show now and end on that note <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you so much thank you Loading Hollow Sweet Preview Program for The Janeway, a Star Trek Voyager podcast. Before that timepiece stopped working. Mm -hmm, that really because ugly, he saw it in the shop window. That really ugly timepiece. When I first watched it, I thought, okay, yes, this is a clock that maybe somebody puts on their desk or mm -hmm. on a wall somewhere. But later we see somebody pull the same thing out of their pocket. Do they not have watches? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's like one of those like huge clunky mobile phones that all they ever did was like call people. It's like, nope, this is just a big clock for my pocket. It's something that Flavor Flav should be wearing around his neck. It's that big and obnoxious. Is that a clock in your pocket or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> oh, no, no, it's it's just a clock. It's most definitely a clock. <laughs> <laughs> Loading Hollow Sweet Preview Program for What the Future Holds, a Star Trek Discovery Podcast. Look at previous Star Trek series where they appealed to the male gaze. Mm -hmm. You had Seven of Nine, you had those episodes of mm. Enterprise, yeah, to Paul when they're in their little decompression chamber or whatever yeah, the, yeah mm -hmm. when they're in yeah their let's undies. objectify the male a little bit every yeah now and yeah equal <laughs> rights it's nice to change it up right see if you're gonna objectify a woman then you've got to objectify a man to balance it out because then right. it's not it's about time no kidding <laughs> computer deactivate hollow suite